Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Before we start, just a quick content warning for this one, because we are talking about slashers, so there's some sort of violence and gruesome stuff. We're talking about some Harvey Weinstein stuff, so some sexual abuse and assault, some stuff with um, just not great uh, treatment of women. Also, some slut-shaming victim-blaming stuff. Because again, slashers and horror movies. But all right, let's get into it. Today, um, we want to thank a listener who sent in a bunch of recent suggestions for our ongoing Halloween slash spooky content. Jessica. So thank you, Jessica, for suggesting we look into Scream Queens. Yes. Yes, which has been very, very fun. Um, <laughs> there are surprisingly a lot of definitions yes. around Scream Queens and some confusion about what they were. I will say for me, I thought a Scream Queen was basically a final girl, but iconic. Like in multiple movies has reached sort of legendary status. That's what I thought a scream queen was. Yeah. Uh, my idea of scream queen was literally those who scream really well. You know, like mm-hmm. I may mm-hmm. have been too on the nose because in my mind, I have a picture of Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah. I think from I Know What You Did Last Summer, where it's that scream, where it's like the horrid face, but it's that shrill, perfect scream. And I feel yeah. like maybe because I've watched Supernatural way too many times and you know, there's often <laughs> someone screams. Uh-huh. Like I would compare who could do it well. And because I'm uh. like, could I do that scream? That high, like real, like terrified scream. So I thought it was someone who could master that. And would be mm-hmm. known for that. Yeah. So I had a completely different take. <laughs> I think together we're kind of correct. <laughs> we're still missing some pieces of it. Right. But it's together, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I will say 
as an actor, I actually have trouble screaming. And it's not to do with I can't do it, but it's just the ingrained nature of being quiet and not bothering people is so damn strong that I have trouble screaming. Yeah. Uh, And it actually concerns me how difficult I find it to let go and do. Maybe that's fine, but I think that the reason behind it is not good. (laughs) Well, I think about when we go on roller coasters and how different Mm -hmm. people do it, and there's some that truly scream. I usually just curse the entire time in panic. That's my scream. Or I also laugh cry. I've discovered that. That was a new (laughs) one. you do that, yeah. (laughs) I feel like I usually like, cheer yeah or whoop (laughs) or just in silent (laughs) anyway so that's what we thought it was we're also going to we're going to go over some definitions some history some evolution and then we're going to look at some examples both modern and more classic yeah examples and i'm also going to put this disclaimer here i'm pretty sure miss annie here found the perfect excuse to talk about her theories on the Scream movie trilogy. Now it's become more of those because she does love it. And then I looked at what we were working on. I was like, oh, okay, I see. Half of this is Scream. Okay. I I did not intend for that to happen, but it did. I knew I wanted to talk, like immediately I was like, I want to talk about her. And actually in in our recent Dana Scully episode, when I said I'd already picked someone out, I had picked her out. Mm. But then I was like, no, I want to do Scully. I want to do the Scully effect. But then this, I was like, well, (laughs) I guess I do get to talk about her after all. Halloween has come early for me. Um, Yes, there's quite a bit of discussion about Scream. I can't wait to get to it. But before we do, let's talk about some of these definitions floating around for Scream Queen. Cambridge Dictionary gives this definition, a female actor who plays a main character in a horror movie who gets frightened or attacked or the character she plays. In other definitions, the Scream Queen refers to a specific typically iconic, character in the horror genre. While there are and have been many damsel in distress elements to Scream Queen, and we're going to unpack that in a minute, um, they are often smart and capable, especially the more modern iterations of them. The editor-in-chief of Rue Morgue magazine, Dave Alexander, said, A Scream Queen is a female actor in a horror film that is both intelligent, proactive, tough, and overall a survivor. So she's generally the focus of the antagonist rage. I would definitely say that Scream Queens are one of the strongest tropes, one of the more modern ones, and they are absolutely key in defining certain subgenres such as slasher movies. Yeah, I think that's a good one. So from Wise Geek, it says, A Scream Queen is an actress who does a great deal of work in the horror genre. Scream Queens often become closely associated with this genre of film and television, sometimes despite a desire to break out and work in other aspects of the industry. Some examples of notable Scream Queens include Faye Ray, Scout Taylor Compton, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Jamie Lee Curtis, depending on the film and the actress, a scream queen may be a victim or a female protagonist. Whatever type of role she plays, a scream queen is classically young and beautiful, though her beauty may be more, uh, quote, girl next door than supermodel. Oh, I guess you're going to come up on our slumber party. There's quite a bit of this in there. (laughs) With an emphasis on the idea that scream queen could be a real woman. Yeah, so I feel like from these definitions, one of the big standouts to me is I, it makes sense now that I read these, but I never thought it was the actress. 
character. And I think that's why I got it mixed up with like when I say iconic, because a lot of the ones we've chosen, not all of them, but a lot of them like were this, they're known for this one role. Right. And so it, they kind of, it gets interchangeable almost right. of, you know, Laurie Stroh, Jamie Lee Curtis. So I always thought of it as more of the fictional character, but I think it does make sense that it's the actor. Or like, at least it started that way. Right. Where like, oh, she's the scream queen. She can be in all these horror movies and scream really well. Right. And of course, the fact that it originated from screen queen, they say. One one definition stated, without really telling us why, but maybe yeah. it's kind of like the leading lady in very like horrified situations. Who knows? Right. Yeah, sort of a take on that. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah, <laughs> because I am such a nerd, I looked up, why do we scream? Um, very briefly, recent science suggests that screaming is dual purpose, alerting others and sharpening our awareness. The brain processes screams differently than other sounds. It's like quicker, it goes to the brain more quickly. So it makes sense that these scream queens are screaming. It's actually not... I feel like it's usually portrayed as like, oh, look how dumb she is or how helpless she is. But screaming is, it does serve its purpose and it is useful. There are damsel in distress elements we're going to talk about, but I just found that interesting. (laughs) I was also trying to get into like, because there's a certain range that works the best and I don't know much about (laughs) audio, which is silly in the industry I work in, but I was like, is that what women normally hit or men normally hit or... Anyway, future episode, perhaps. I had to stop myself at some point. I did want to talk about Final Girls because Scream Queens are closely related to the Final Girl trope. Um, And this is a a trope that was first coined by Carol Clover in 1992. You can go check out the episode we did on that. Um, One of the very first episodes I did as a host on the show was actually the one I did as a test run to see if I could, if I I had the stuff to be Nice was on Final Girls. So it might be a bit rough because I was a new host, but the content was pretty good. But basically, a Final Girl is the last girl to confront the killer in a slasher movie. She usually is young, white, brown-haired, more, quote, innocent than others, which means, like, doesn't really drink, smoke, have sex. Again, horror movies are largely moralistic, especially towards younger people. And she has spent the film being terrorized. Yeah, so... This is such a big trope that there are now movies called The Final Girl, The Final Girls. I think there's a show. It was like Key and Cabin in the Woods is mm-hmm. The Final Girl. So you know what it is. Like, even if you're kind of, you never heard that term before. If you've seen like a couple of horror movies, you know what this is. Exactly. <laughs> it's somebody you're meant to feel sympathy for. And we're going to unpack that a little later as well. But basically, somebody the audience can really get behind and really doesn't want this killer to hurt. Not all Scream Queens are final girls. Scream Queens don't always survive, though they often do. Some argue that the final girl is essentially another step in the evolution of the Scream Queen. And when we get to the evolution section, we will dig more into that. Right. And also, uh, not all actresses were thrilled at being typecasted as a Scream Queen. A lot of them were not taken seriously and have spoken about the emotional and even physical strain of portraying these characters. And I think I told you earlier, we're going to be doing a review for uh, Slumber Party Massacre. And one of the women in that movie had done several other B-list, C-list horror movies, and then ended up uh, dying at a really young age, dying by suicide. She like had a whole rough go of it, and I'm I'm sure there's so much to her life. But I found that tragic that that was kind of 
her whole thing. And I think it partially it did say within some of the biography of her that she couldn't land any other roles. So her career mm. was very stagnant and maybe yeah. because of stuff like this. And I, I've seen this talked about in any typecasting that once you become that iconic character, it's hard to shake it. So... Yeah. And I I mean, I was reading uh, an essay by somebody who loves horror and was talking about this trope and just saying, you know, like, imagine it's very physical, like you're running and dodging and being scared. And it's just, a, it's a drain. Yeah. Uh, very intense. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the fact that some of these scream queens were tormented <laughs> to get that better reaction, yeah. which is ridiculous. Yeah. Here's another definition, which is a scream queen can also be referred to someone who is a fan of horror and may have even starred in one or two films. So I guess you could be a scream queen, Annie? I could be a scream queen. Weren't you in that vampire movie? I've been in a few horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, a new title to add to my name. There is also a show called Scream Queens that originally appeared in 2015, created by Ryan Murphy. It was canceled after two seasons, but is getting a revival. And the show followed some hilarious, unaware, and privileged sorority girls as they tried to discover the identity of a murder. I guess hilarious was like editorial of me, but it's supposed to be funny. It is, They're yeah. not necessarily trying to be hilarious, but it's supposed to be funny. Uh, and all these murders are linked to... A death caused by a childbirth at a house party 20 years earlier that the sorority members tried to cover up. And it has a really amazing cast. Um, Billy Lord, Ariana Grande, Abigail Breslin, Emma Roberts, Kiki Palmer, Lee Michelle, Nick Jonas, Taylor Lautner, John Stamos, and perhaps most importantly for our conversation today, Jamie Lee Curtis as the dean, who is very much not the role she typically plays as a scream queen. <laughs> it's like She flirts with like younger dudes and oh, does yeah. drugs and stuff. She doesn't just flirt, y'all. Oh, so you've seen it? Yes, I saw the first season. Okay. Did you like it? Uh, Yeah. It definitely, so... Have you watched many of Ryan Murphy's series? I've seen a few American horror stories. So it very much follows his typical style. So it's kind of one of those, mm-hmm. the, the first season is typically really good. Like it has a mm-hmm. new way of doing things and has a great idea. And then it kind of falls apart slowly. And like yeah. it goes too far, it goes too long, it's too abrupt, all those things say. But I did enjoy the first season. It was very tongue-in-cheek, over the top. It kind of did that whole parody level. There was no mistake in the fact that it was a parody to everything yeah. to it. Yeah, and of course, I had to watch Jamie Lee Curtis because I pretty much love her in almost everything. Mm-hmm. And Niecy Nash is in this too, so she was fantastic in her role in this. But yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. There's some scenes in there that I'm like, what just happened? Mm. What am I watching? And of course, in the opening scenes, the reason that the young girl giving birth dies is because the sorority girls here don't go chasing waterfalls by TLC. And they're like, oh, "Oh, we have to go dance and leave her to die so they can go dance to this song at the party. Wow. So very tongue-in-cheek from the very beginning. Okay. Wow. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. I heard... In researching this, I, I think I knew this before, but I'd forgotten. But Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of afraid of horror movies. So I didn't know this. 
Yeah, I think that is interesting when we're talking again about like the strain and emotional, physical <laughs> toll right. that they can take. Right. And then her saying like, I don't even like the horror movies and I can just imagine that being really intense. But yeah, from what I hear, this show is very, it's meant to be very meta, very parody, Scream is. I know it's well-loved. I know it has some problematic elements, but yeah, uh, I want to put that in there. Right. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, I get to watch it someday. I mean, I'm, I didn't know there was going to be a revival, and I don't understand why there's going to be a revival. So, huh. It's a revival of almost literally everything we're talking about on here right now, and that is not a joke. When we get to the characters <laughs> that we chose, the screen queens we chose, I'm pretty sure every single one of them. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. So let's talk about the evolution. As mentioned, uh, the Scream Queen has evolved over the years. As we said, uh, many of the early Scream Queens, like Faye Ray in King Kong, are very much damsels in distress. Again, we're thinking it's coming from Scream Queen. So she's very iconic, blonde, beautiful, you know, tormented by monsters who uh, spend the entire time screaming and crying and fainting and needing rescuing. I just remember her like flopping about in, you know, yep. um, King Kong's arms as just like, uh-huh. and then passes out. Yeah. I forgot about the fainting. Yeah. Uh, how common that used to be. <laughs> she looks up and faints again and looks up and faints again. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's often sexualized <laughs> for the male gaze. Yes. She has less and less clothes throughout the movie. 
yeah. more of an object than a fleshed out character. And she was not the one to confront the villain, but rather cowered from them, serving as the prize for the man who did. Um, or she died at the hands of the villain, like Janet Lee's Naked in the Shower in Psycho. But Lee also helped give birth to the next generation of Scream Queens, literally and figuratively. Yes, which I did not know until you yeah. pointed this out to yeah. me. Yeah, I was like, that's uh, the daughter. Like, she brought on a whole new generation of Scream Queens. Yes, because Janet Lee is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Yes. <laughs> I did not know. As audiences' taste and attitudes shifted and awareness of the genre and its problematic tropes grew, the Scream Queen evolved. She became more self-aware, independent, and intelligent. She was still sexualized, though not as much like one of those definitions said earlier, kind of more of that girl next door sort of thing. Innocent, definitely. She spent a lot of time screaming and crying, but she had more agency and competency. She was often the hero, able to survive and out with the villain, even in the face of terror, though sometimes she did still need saving. I totally forgotten the original Halloween. The, the, the psychiatrist guy, yeah. yeah. I totally forgot he showed up and was like, oh, I'll do it. But yes, Jamie Lee Curtis, speaking of, is one of the most iconic Scream Queens from this period. Right. And nowadays, as some of the classic Scream Queens are reprising their roles in a new additions to their franchises, the trope has expanded to include proactive, traumatized, vengeful Seekers. Uh, they spend the entire film show facing off with the villain instead of spending most of it as a terrified victim before becoming the empowered survivor. I know in a lot of them, when they do have old characters come back, they're the ones that usually die. Yeah. <sighs> Carrie yeah, is I have one a lot of, of them. thoughts about that. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, so they had the original young lady who survived the mm-hmm. whole thing because she did she wasn't allowed to go to the prom. In mm-hmm. the remake that just happened, she actually dies trying yeah. to save them, I believe. I feel like that's a it's a narrative tool of both like, here's this character you probably loved, so you can have that nostalgia factor, and then taking the risky move of killing them off, which is either going to really make people angry or make them care. Yeah. Oh, loss is real in this movie. There are emotional stakes. But I feel like that happens a lot when something's being revived. They bring back... An old character and then kill them. They did. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they also do a lot of teaching and educating the new generation on how to survive. And the new generation usually ignores them until it comes back to flashback. I was like, oh yeah, they said do this. They always say that they're they're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. That that person is a cuckoo. Right. (laughs) Uh, Which Mm -hmm. is what I saw with Silent Hill, Annie. Oh, I can't wait till we talk about that. I have so much to say. <laughs> anyway, and their trauma is more apparent and explored. So they do do a little bit of a fleshing out, at least like past traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, and some have even become feminist icons. Yes, again, like we look at Jamie Lee Curtis as a feminist icon, as being a scream queen that survives. Yeah. All the good stuffs. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting. As as I said it, I think I, I wonder if one of the kind of evolution of the Scream Queen is, you know, it goes from Jamie Lee Curtis is too pure and still does need saving in the original Halloween. Like, even if she did survive and she was competent, a man still had to come in because they didn't want her to be the killer Mm -hmm. and, like, dirty herself in that way. Whereas this next evolution is, they're coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to get that killer. (laughs) 
But yeah, you could argue that this and the final girl trope plays into the idea of the perfect victim. The fact that these are tropes that revolve around women being victimized was calculated. The belief um, that women would get more sympathy more easily from the audience, that they were weaker, so it was scarier, um, and that they could still be sexualized for the male gaze. Some researchers even argue that we've fetishized women's pain, particularly when we are looking through the eyes of the killer as he torments women, usually with a phallic weapon. You can, again, see our past episode on Final Girls for more of my thoughts on that, which there are plenty. (laughs) (laughs) And then, while the villain of the movie sometimes gets the credit for keeping franchises going, others point out that really... It's the protagonist, the scream queen we're rooting for. Many often point to 1978's Halloween as the introduction of the menacing villain that can't be killed, like that whole trope. At Halloween kind of was the beginning of that. Some critics argue his absence in Halloween 3 season of The Witch was why that movie bombed. And I also have thoughts on that. And you can see the movie crush episode I did about that one. And Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warrior featuring another scream queen. Nancy. Yes, Nancy. Also final girl. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think she also dies in the newer versions, right? I think she did die in Dream Warrior. She did die, but I think they brought her back. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought she like, it felt like a death that she would return from. But anyway, you could also argue Halloween introduced this iconic villain's foil, the consummate survivor who rises up and defeats them only for them to do the whole thing over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> um, so we do have some examples, both classic and more modern. We're going to start with mine, which are the more modern ones, and then end with kind of yeah, the, the icon. And yes, there's kind of a lot of stuff about Scream in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned Sarah Michelle Geller, and she is also somebody that I think of when I think of Scream Queen. So we wanted to start with her. She earned the Scream Queen designation after landing roles in things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Scream 2, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Grudge. And I, I Know What You Did Last Summer is, I don't know if a reboot is the right word, but there's a show on Amazon Prime right now. So, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You can see uh, past host and uh, Lauren over from Saver guested on an episode past host of Sminty did on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you want to learn more about that role and its impact. I think Lauren and I also talked about her when Lauren was a guest once again to discuss the whole why didn't you believe her trope in oh. horror. And I, her roles have an interesting dichotomy when it comes to her Scream Queen status because on the one hand, Buffy was a feminist icon and catapulted her to stardom. And this was a character who was strong and badass, feminine, directly confronting the monsters and leading the Scooby gang. She didn't do a whole lot of screaming from what I remember. She did, but not, not too much. In The Grudge, she was competent um, and confronted her fears and the ghosts. In Slashers Like Scream 2, and I know what you did last summer, though, she is portrayed as something bordering, but not quite a bimbo. She's definitely a step above, and I don't want this to sound degrading at all, but like in terms of like movie stereotype tropes, that's sort of the vibe she had. I definitely, her death, and I know what you did last summer, is the one that hit me the hardest in that movie because she was so close. The parade was right, it was right there. there. Oh, oh. It's slightly different, maybe more like people perceive her as the bimbo because she's beautiful and blonde. And that perception 
influences her life. In both, I think she's a twist on the trope, um, which is often called the whore in horror movies, the whore trope, who has to go first because she's beautiful and has sex, usually makes what the viewers are meant to interpret as poor survival decisions. In Scream 2, she's a callback to a joke made in the first movie where in Sydney, the main character says she hates horror movies because, quote, some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who is always running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. It's insulting. So this is how Sarah Michelle Gellar dies in Scream 2. Like, she runs up the stairs. She does try to go to the front door. She runs up the stairs, then gets stabbed and then thrown over the balcony. But I don't think it's ever implied we should be laughing at her that she's dumb. Um, just more like meta-horror commentary and poking fun at the trope. Almost formulaic, but it's making fun of the formula. It's just an interesting kind of... <laughs> trying to suss out. Because I mean, at least for me personally, I was never like, oh, she was dumb. Of course she's going to die. I don't know. <laughs> but she is kind of filling that trope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, okay, speaking of Scream 2 and Sydney Prescott, let's talk about Scream and Nev Campbell. <laughs> All the things. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. We've talked about one of her most well-known roles before when we did an episode on The Craft, but her turn as Sydney Prescott in the Scream franchise is what put her firmly in Scream Queen territory. And we should also say, a lot of these actors have done stuff, the ones we were talking about anyway, have done stuff outside of horror, but right. they're sort of known for this one role um, when it comes to the horror world anyway. I know Nev Campbell really made headway as Party of Five, yeah. Sad Girl. But yes. I think it's that Sad Girl thing is why she was so perfect for Scream. That whole yes. like persona of being sad, innocent, puppy eyes mm -hmm. made her the perfect Sydney Prescott. Yes, yes. She's definitely... Especially in the first one, and especially at the beginning of the first one, she is like kind of a, a very sweet girl next door, innocent character. It does change. And I do, I love this character and I love Scream. And I know there are problematic things in these movies and we're going to talk about that. But this is one of the first horror movies and slashers that I saw, which is funny in retrospect because the whole thing is meta and poking fun at the horror genre. So I was like, watching these movies that are a big joke about horror, and I really hadn't seen much horror, <laughs> and especially much slashers. If you haven't seen them, they're very tongue-in-cheek. They're very self-aware of the genre. They're firmly in the slasher comedy category. Actually, when we were watching Slumber Party Massacre, there were some things where I was like, I wonder if they were inspired by Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> right. This scene feels very reminiscent. <laughs> <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The first movie debuted in 1996 and was followed by Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, and now Scream 5, which is set to come out in January 2022. At their core, they center on Sidney Prescott and the serial killer or killers trying to murder her and a bunch of people in her orbit. Sidney Prescott grew up in Woodsboro, surviving being the target of seven serial killers (laughs) so far. So many. (laughs) There's going to at least one more, (laughs) maybe two or three, Um, including one who was her half-brother. And that is one way this franchise is different than something like Halloween, the ghost face serial killer is always someone different. It's not the same person coming back over and over and over again. She has physically confronted them and outsmarted them on several occasions. Calling back to horror trope, she always takes the final just-in-case shot to make sure they're really dead, except one time. So, <laughs> yes, in the third one, she didn't. So Sydney is quite the kill count and has lost quite a lot of people. In the the movie, she wrote a book about her experiences in hopes of helping others, but the fame and attention just once again made her the target of a serial killer, another family member, in fact. That's something these movies examine, the fame aspect of serial killers and those that survive them, in part with the fictional in-world film series based on the events of Scream called Stab. (laughs) There's a lot of commentary on art imitating life in them. After her mother was murdered, she provided the key testimony against Cotton Weary. And yes, the names are fantastic in these movies. Uh, the man her mom was having an affair with, though it later turned out she was wrong. Not about the affair, but about him killing her. I saw the first two movies when I was nine years old. I saved up and purchased about nine horror movies from a shop called Media Play that isn't around anymore. But it used to be like a big deal. My family would go. And <laughs> I, the guy who was checking me out did not say anything, didn't card me, or I mean, obviously I was nine, but he didn't say anything. And I, I mean, looking back, should I have been watching these? No. But for some reason, I immediately love Scream and I love Sydney. 
I loved the fun of pointing out the tropes and still using them, of making you suspect everybody, of directly discussing the rules of horror movies and surviving them. No sex for women, no showing your tits, no drugs, no alcohol, never say I'll be right back. In the sequels, they expound on those rules and they base it on like what happens in a sequel, what happens in a trilogy, all that stuff. They even comment on Jamie Lee Curtis being a scream queen and also her boobs, of course. I bought the soundtracks. I tried to pull off the haircut, which I was like, I'm kind of doing it now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I did not pull it off when I was a kid. No, 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 no. But I did love Sydney. I loved how she flipped the tables on the killers at the end, how she toyed with them and she scared them, ultimately killed them. Uh, We see her standing up for herself and punching Courtney Cox's character, Gail Weathers, not once but twice. And they still have like an interesting friendship thing going on. Later, how I, I really appreciated how they did explore her trauma and her PTSD and her survival's guilt. Um, things often people used to dismiss her like, oh, there's not another killer. It's just you have had trauma. She's like, but there's dead bodies. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, she was suspicious of boyfriends and eventually everyone, but she still wanted to help. In the beginning of the third film, She's working anonymously at a women's crisis counseling center. And her trust and boundaries are repeatedly violated. And the second one, she is compared to Cassandra, which is also a comparison that comes up in the last of us. Able to see the future, but cursed so that no one will listen to her. She's clever and cunning, brave and resilient, often funny, ready with a quip of her own to the killer. She has so many good quotes. She has so many good quotes. Yeah, and she also has like clips for reporters or prank callers. And she's strong and fast and good with weapons, often improvised, always pretty determined to uncover the killer's identity. Um, she's definitely the heart of these movies and the killers always target her and they say, hello, Sydney, which is sort of their catchphrase. Um, in fact, when I told somebody I was doing an episode on Scream Queens, the first thing she said was, hello, Sydney. <laughs> um, so... While these movies are, in a lot of ways, satirizing the slasher, she's not portrayed for comedic value or made fun of. She is funny, but she's not really made fun of. I did want to talk about uh, some of the things around sex and her mom in these movies. Because <laughs> Sydney has a lot of trauma around sex. In the first movie, she is a high schooler who's painted as the innocent girl next door type. When her boyfriend, Billy Loomis, who she later finds out is the killer who has just been dating her for revenge, which is awful, sneaks into her bedroom at the beginning of the movie. He pressures her to have sex, saying he's ready to move their relationship to rated R and that she has a chastity belt on and he would like her to remove it. She asks if he's okay with a PG-13 movie instead and flashes him, but the audience doesn't see her breast. Right before the climax of the movie, she does have sex with Billy just before he reveals himself and his friends Stu as the killers. And just a note, she did suspect Billy early in the movie. And she was right to. But he gaslighted her real hard and made her feel really guilty about it, which is in part why she agrees to have sex. Um, Not the only reason, but it is a factor. After they caught her, they said uh, because she had sex, she loses and has to die. And that she shouldn't have, quote, given it up. Um, And later this is flipped when her trauma is manipulated to make her suspect her boyfriend only for the killer to kill him after she realizes he did not, in fact, do it. Which was very, very sad. Okay, but speaking of, uh, the whole plot is essentially spurred on by Sydney's mother cheating. Or some other grievance against her, including her turning away her child, Sydney's half-brother, once again, blaming it on the mother. So the killer blames her 
for their killing. In fact, the killer in the second movie brings that up. It's like, you always blame the mother, which is interesting because she is the mother and she is the killer, but that's neither here nor there. Um, one of the killers said that Cindy's mom was flashing her all around town, even though she's no Sharon Stone. Because of this, Sydney is understandably reticent around sex and talks about she has trauma around the fact that the whole country knows about how her mom cheated and that they seem to blame her for her own death, i.e. sex she was having led to her mom's death in Sydney's mind and everyone knows it and has an opinion they're happy to discuss about it. She sees how her mom is slut-shamed and victim-blamed and she's kind of taking these precautions to make sure she is not. In fact, in the first one, no one takes her seriously because of her mom's bad reputation, thinking Sydney is just out for more attention. And as the movies explored this idea more, it turns out her mom, Maureen, went to Hollywood to become an actor, starring in many B-horror movies, becoming something of a scream queen. However, the producers took her um, to some party where it's implied she was promised roles that she never got in exchange for sex. And she was so traumatized by the whole thing, she went on to have a lot of sex and a lot of it outside of marriage, thus leading to all these serial killers looking to get revenge on her and her daughter. This is what the serial killers kind of say. This is sort of their explanation of it. <laughs> um, which, yes, a lot of blaming of women and the mother going on and that moralizing that horror movies often do. Though I would argue I never personally blame Sidney's mom for these. Uh, mostly dudes killing people. And a lot of it is painted as Sydney struggling with her mom's past and feeling hurt that there was so much about her she didn't know. Sydney directly comments on this in the third one, telling the killer he only kills because he wants to. Why don't you take some responsibility? And that part also has one of my favorite curses in film history. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And here's where it gets real interesting slash real world upsetting. Scream 3 takes place in Hollywood on the set of Stab 3 and brings to light the trauma her mother went through there. The producer is saying something along the lines like, she was asking for it, this is Hollywood, that's just what happens, that's how women get parts, that there were these parties where men in power in the entertainment industry would get women drunk and high, and then the women would be taken advantage of. The actress playing Sydney in Stab 3 later says she slept with the producer to get this part. These movies were executive produced in part by Harvey Weinstein. So it was very hard not to think that this is a commentary on what was going on, not just with him, but at, with Hollywood at large. Rose McGowan, who started in the first Scream, later described Weinstein raping her a year after the movie came out. Many articles have been written about this. Um, Adam White wrote in 2020 that the film was, quote, an angry indictment of sexual misconduct in Hollywood, predatory men, and the casting couch. The editor said that Wes Craven's intentions around this Weinstein-esque producer in Scream 3 were, quote, Wes, I think, was very interested in that character as not necessarily the villain. He certainly is a villain, but as a catalyst for the villain's motivation. He's really the spark for the events or retconned that he is the spark for the events in the entire series. Sydney's half-brother, the killer and child of their mother, Maureen, the producer, says that what they did to their mom made her a slut. That's his words again, not mine. And ruined their lives. Also, Carrie Fisher has a cameo <laughs> as a Carrie Fisher lookalike, saying Carrie Fisher only got the role of Princess Leia because she slept with George Lucas. And with a lot of movies I've watched lately, it has been interesting. This, this even comes up in White Black Swan. It's kind of, the woman must have slept with them to mm -hmm. get whatever they got. That is the only way. So yeah, it is... 
upsetting that this is enough of a thing that they're like, yeah, we'll make a movie on it. And then just to wrap up this very long Sydney Prescott section, I did watch the trailer. I was kind of putting it off because I think I actually would be devastated if she died. <laughs> but the trailer for Scream 5 came out like the day we were talking about doing this. But it had a lot of the things we're talking about where she says like, I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course, I have a gun. I've been through this a lot. Um, there are certain rules for surviving. Don't f- with the original. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Good rundown. Thank you. I know you. you've been waiting and holding that in because I already had half the speech when we watched Scream 3. I did. I was like, we have to watch Scream 3 and I have to tell you all these things. <laughs> I am that annoying person. And we had to purposely get it that weekend. We're like, we have to watch this. You've never seen it. And I was like, mm, no. Oh my God. And then we did. And then she told me everything. <laughs> yes. I try to hold it back, but sometimes I just can't. She just can't. At all. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And of course, we couldn't talk about Scream Queens, and we've already mentioned her a few times, but 
we had to take a deeper look at the icon herself, the true legend, Jamie Lee Curtis. And she even won the Greatest of All Time award from the MTV for her portrayal as, again, the true screen queen. And though the term screen queen like we said before, may have originated from the term screen queen, we can see that Curtis shaped a whole new brand of queens of horror. As we mentioned earlier, the movie she is most noted for, which is Halloween, brought on several firsts, including the new damsel, not so in distress. Um, And again, also known as the final girl that kind of started happening. Like, oh, she survives. She is savvy, but she does hold that trope of being virginal and sweet and naive, but not too naive because throughout she knows something's happening. Yeah. Really creepy, like. And yeah, and she is back with a vengeance between her taking on the roles within the series like uh, Scream Queens and a couple of new movies to continue with the tale of the unkillable killer, Michael Myers, as we mentioned earlier. But she also was in other horror movies uh, pretty much immediately after Halloween, which included Prom Queen, The Fog, and Terror Train. I have never seen any of these. Have you? (laughs) I think I've seen Prom Queen and The Fog. I don't think I've seen Terror Train. Now you have another one to watch. That's true. But yes, it is her (laughs) iconic performance as the sweet babysitter, Laurie Schroeder, that brought on a whole new generation of screen queens. And this whole also trope of the babysitter, because that became a huge thing uh, for a while, including uh, the phone call inside your house, that very trope, set in a fictional town in Illinois, where we see the now cliche, but new at the time, of a woman being scared from... From an unknown character who not only comes to stalk her, but to kill off all her friends before he comes for her only to come out alive. And she returns for another round in Halloween 2, which I don't think I've ever seen that one either. Did you see this one? Yeah, I have seen, I think I've seen all the Halloweens, except the newest one. (laughs) Does all her friends die in that one? Yeah, most of them. Okay. I would not be friends with her. I'm sorry. And then again in Halloween H2O, and now in the newest movie uh, in the lineup, Halloween Kills. I haven't watched that one yet. Did you say you watched it? I have not. So I have friends who've seen it and I've gotten their reviews because, as I said, I do like slasher movies, but they're not what I normally seek out. Right. And I have gotten. I mean, I don't know what the right word for it is. Some people say you've just gotten older, but like since I'm like, I'll get sad. Like, oh, this yeah. is sad. They're just killing all these people. And especially if it's like really grisly. And the the new, newer Halloween one, not this newest one, I got pretty uncomfortable, which I think is the point. But I, yeah, I was uncomfortable. So I was like kind of waiting to see what people said. And the reviews I got were it's extremely dark, extremely nihilistic, very, very gory. Um, and that Laurie, spoilers, 10 seconds. Skip ahead. Spends most of it in a coma, as she did in Halloween too. Oh, yeah, she does. She is in it, but she's in a coma for most of it. Yeah, I did see that she's not really present, and I didn't know what it was about because I don't know much about it. I know at one of the premieres, though, she does dress up as her mother. Mm-hmm. From Psycho, if you want to go mm-hmm. see those pictures as well, Janet Lee. Um, but yeah, so she has been a part of this dynasty now, royalty. <laughs> I don't know if we're calling them screen <laughs> queens. And she would be the first person that would pop in my head 
as we speak of her and her iconic roles. But yeah, she's also, she was one of the few that was able to break out of that as being uh, really comedic in her performance. She was in True Lies, whole different conversation in itself. So she was been, uh, she's been able to really bust through that. And she, again, as you said, she didn't love horror. She doesn't like being scared <laughs> and having this as part of her trope was like, what? Yeah. But yeah, but it wasn't just Jamie Lee Curtis who shined as a scream queen. But yeah, her mother, Janet Lee. Now, Janet Lee's role was fairly minute, as in like it wasn't very long. Um, yeah. She was in the movie Psycho for a short amount of time. Like you see her, she is being very suspicious, running away in her car. She goes to uh, the hotel. And at this point in time, we find out like she's had an affair. She's taken some money. Not a very likable character. And we'll come back to that in a minute. And at the same time, we see the peephole. Right where the dude comes through and then yep. we see the infamous shower scene, which has been replicated uh, and been parodied I don't know how many times. Yeah. That scene alone made her an icon all in itself. Yeah. But she wasn't the only damsel in distress, though not quite a damsel, and we should probably explore this more uh, later in a different episode maybe, as Hitchcock really liked making beautiful women somehow always be a partial villain, if not completely villainous, to the point that you weren't sad that they died. Right. Um, and they typically were very beautiful, blonde Hollywood women. Uh, that This is the type of women Hitchcock had in his movies. Uh, and he was actually known, again, for hiring and oftentimes tormenting these beautiful, blonde, leading ladies to the point that he was quoted as saying, I always believe in following the advice of playwright Victorian Sardou, torture the women. So he actually Oof. said that out loud as if it was funny. Yeah. And he didn't just torment in the actual movie. There are a lot of times that these women are punished by going through some type of tragic death in the movies. And he would also go after the ladies off camera. There are allegations of sexual misconduct, uh, verbal abuse, stalking, and outright harassment. He even went as far as the, to demand control over their, these ladies' clothing and fashion, um, even when they were not filming. So he actually had their stories of the fact that he sent people to follow Grace Kelly when she was a part of the Rear Window Project. And then, of course, there are those who would say, this was for the sake of the movies that he was directing, but there's always the underlying misogyny and overall self-hate, apparently perhaps similar to those who identify as incels, that he was able to tap into uh, to push himself to be to use these types of tactics. I will say that it's been reported a lot that he really felt like he was really ugly and told people how unattractive he was, but he also tortured blonde women as the women he could not have. Yeah. There are also conversations that he was fairly, um, he wasn't sexual. Like, he rarely like engaged in sexual activities from what people are saying to the point that there are some allegations that maybe he was homosexual, maybe he was gay, um, but just never came out. But there were stories that he actually tried to sexually coerce his actresses. And in any case, again, he pushed the leading ladies into the genre of screen queens that we do see today, uh, from Janet Lee in Psycho to Tippi Hedren in The Birds, which scared the out of me as a kid. And because I know people already know, they use real life <laughs> birds that did not care that it was attacking this woman. Mm. And according to a few reports, she was the one that was probably most harassed. She was also in two of his movies. So she had written in her memoir about 
the awful things that Hitchcock did to her. And perhaps uh, it did help bring a whole new level of Scream Queens, where it wasn't that these ladies were awful ladies dying in horrible ways, but there's a little bit of justice now at the end, but it never really ends, does it? Does it, though? Never. As long as we keep seeing these movies, and no. Right. <laughs> but also, yeah, there has been a Psycho reboot remake. Of There's been of a reboot on a lot of the Psycho, Rear Window. I haven't yeah. seen The Birds yet. So I find a couple of things interesting about this one because I saw Psycho probably when I was in high school, much later in my horror movie. It might have even been college. And when I saw it, because I'd seen all these other horror movies first and I just grew up in a different time. There was no part of me that was like, oh, she's a bad person, deserves to die. I was shocked she died. I knew I'd seen the shower scene, but I was shocked it was so freaking early. Beginning, um, yeah. Yeah, because they kind of were painting it as like, oh, she's going to be like the main character, maybe be tormented throughout. And then like her sister shows up and I was like, right. Oh, because there has to be, like, even then I was like, there almost always has to be this woman, this pretty woman, for the villain to torment. Yeah. But I just think that was an interesting experience because I was just seeing it not from those eyes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and I am a, a huge fan of old movies. Like, I love musicals. I love, like, old things. But what you start realizing... Uh, um, some of the awful tactics behind it and some of the actualities of these movies, including most of Hitchcock films, you're like, what the hell? And it does change what you saw versus what you thought you saw. Because, yeah, you never, if you don't pay attention, you really don't know why she ran away. For the longest time, I was trying to figure out why she ran away. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. don't get it. I don't get it. Is she meeting somebody? I don't get it. And then Mm -hmm. you realize, oh, she embezzled money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she's she's a she's a harlot, as they would say, because she had an affair with a very flirty boss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's also because he does this to all of them. There's something that's like a little off about the women that they're not purely innocent. Yeah. Uh, does the same thing with strangers on a train, like mm-hmm. to the point that there was almost like an, a sigh of relief when some of the audience watched her being strangled to death, and you're like. Yeah. Why? But because he made it that way. He wanted that trope to be that way. And I I found that very fascinating to like, oh man, you are really twisted and you had a lot of issues, bruh. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said that. I I feel like one of the more recent examples when I was watching the new Jurassic World and there was that like babysitting character. I might've told the story before, but I mean, she was supposed to be so annoying. And I felt like, you know, (laughs) She was not that annoying. Like, I would right. be annoyed too if my boss was like, here, here are these two random kids and right. watch them. But yeah. when she died and she dies like a long, drawn out death, people were laughing and I was like, <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Um, but wow. I kind of get the vibe. Like, I get having like a villainous character and being relieved when they're gone. But I feel like with these women, like, often they're not. Like, maybe they're not great, but it's not, like, right. killing worthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's revel like in their death. Like, is that how you think she deserved to be stabbed right. to death in the exactly. shower from a peeping Tom because he had mommy issues? Hmm. Exactly. And that's kind of the thing. Like, it's almost like this early version of the Scream Queen before there was the final girl was, like, the quote, horror trope. Like, yeah. she was the one that was, she was pretty and she was having sex, so she has to go. But there right. wasn't, like, 
I guess her sister was more, quote, innocent when she showed up. Another thing I find interesting about this example, when you type in, like, Scream Queens, I, for me, a lot of the examples that come up on, like, top 20 Scream Queen lists, it was, like, one actor, one role. Yeah. Which this one is iconic. Like, people know that scene. It had a huge right. impact. Like, Nancy, like we talked about from Nightmare on Elm Street, she was in, you know, a couple, but not that many. But for me, like, a Scream Queen is, like, Jamie Lee Curtis or something, but... It is interesting how many partially that they represent the movie. Right. Like if you think of that movie, that's the person you right. see in your yes. head. Yes. And this isn't to like say that if you're if you're not Jamie Lee Curtis, then get out. You're no <laughs> scream queen of mine. It was just interesting how many of them were not kind of what I thought, which was somebody who does a bunch of horror. Right. It was like remember this one role, and they did it so well, and which also makes sense, but it shows kind of the varied landscape of people's understandings of. What a scream queen is. You're right. And trilogies didn't happen until that's true. A way a little bit later. So that's kind of that yep. you don't have the reoccurring things. That's more recent. That is that is true. And and plenty of of the women I'm thinking of on these lists, like even Sarah Michelle Geller, it's not like she's done a bunch. I don't know that I would count Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I get that it is uh, she does have know, that it, one role where she plays the uh European uh, mid-century princess. Remember, oh, I don't she, know this they one. do the Halloween costumes and they transform into whatever costume they're wearing from that shop. Oh. And uh, uh, Xander's an army military dude. And oh, uh, no, I don't know this one. What's her name? She turns into a ghost. This is where we get introduced <laughs> to Seth Green. Uh, do you not remember any of that, really? No, <laughs> no. It was a big one where, like, because she turns into this, like, damsel in distress and hides behind Xander. Xander's like the big bad guy. And Angel shows up. He's like, What is happening? What is happening? Oh, I thought you were talking about a a different movie. Okay. We're talking about Buffy the Vampire. Vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. So I just remember that horror face she had. (laughs) Yeah. She did it so well. There's definitely so irritating how well she was at being a damsel in distress. Yeah. She's. There are some episodes of Buffy where she's definitely terrified, for sure. It's just, I guess, in my mind, it doesn't really fit if you look at the whole, the depth of it. Right, right. That was not that often. But anyway, anyway, all that to say, there's, there are a lot of places we could have gone, people we could have picked out. I like who we did. I feel like we touched on some big ones. I did want to have an honorable mention, Sigourney Weaver from Alien, Ghostbusters, The Village, Cabin in the Woods. Um, which, yes, directly comments on the final girl trope. And she's sort of the god due machina in that movie. And you can see our Feminist Movie Friday on Alien and the Movie Crush episode that I did on Alien. But yeah, we've been going on for a minute now. I guess we should wrap this one up. Thanks again to Jessica for this suggestion. It was a fun one. Um, If you would like to suggest anything for us to talk about, listeners, you can. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. 
not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 